You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Tim Palmer photographs and writes about the American landscape. He's the author of California Wild, which won a Benjamin Franklin Award. He wrote the text for Yosemite, The Promise of Wildness. His latest book is Illuminous Mountains. It's a photographic and text journey through the peaks and rivers of the Sierra Nevada. Thank you for joining me, Tim. It's great to be here, Rick. Tim, this is a journey that you've been thinking about since your youth, isn't it? <laughs> well, youth, I guess you could say that. As a, uh, I think I was 19 in my first trip to the Sierra Nevada, hitchhiking west. And uh, it's how I opened the book, actually. You know, I, I'm arriving, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, in uh, Yosemite National Park via Tioga Pass. And uh, as, we, as we drove up the east slope of the Sierra, the uh, mountains just loom larger and larger on the horizon and more and more beautiful until I just couldn't stand it any longer. And I said, let me out here. Now, had you planned to go to Yosemite? Had you planned to just jump off in the middle of nowhere? Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I, I, I knew I wanted to go to Yosemite because, of course, everybody has heard about it. And uh, I had read the writings of John Muir and was fascinated and, and then totally enthralled with what I found. And what I found m- met my expectations and, and then some. You know, it's interesting because there you are as a really young man, and what strikes me about those mountains is how old they are and the contrast between the two. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, you know, they felt young to me, of course. It's all that rock and ice and the granite and the life of the mountains. You know, it's just so vibrant. And, and uh, so I was struck by that even in that first visit and I think struck by the connections, too realizing that every little rivulet would become a great river and realizing that each tree in the forest would would come together with all the others to to uh, to make a great forest and uh, and I also in that first visit really wanted to understand the place and wanted to know it somehow somehow I wanted to belong there and I didn't know how I would ever really do that but I wanted it and so of course over the many years since that time I've had the great fortune to go back many times. And <clears throat> I think in writing this book and taking photos for it, uh, really did get the sense that I belong there. Well, this is an interesting book to me because it, it's a really different animal from what I'm used to speaking with people about and, and reading and seeing. I, I mean, as a, as a writing task, it, it seems really daunting to me. Could you talk about how you plan a book like this? Well, you know, it's principally a photo book. And so uh, there are 145 color photos. And the, the trick then is how do you get a text to match something as spectacular as the Sierra Nevada in photographs? And uh, I think a lot of photo books fail to do this because... Uh, there, the, there's a photographer and then someone else does the writing and frequently the writing ends up being disconnected from the photos and, uh, and, and often um, 
I think writers avoid covering the really important issues that are relevant to the subject. So I did not do that. I, I of course, took the photos and did the writing so I could weave the two together however I wanted. Um, as far as what to write about, you're, you're absolutely correct. It's a huge mountain range and, and there are many choices. I, I chose a very personal approach. As I said, I started the book with that first trip to the mountains, hitchhiking and discovering them myself for the first time. And then I built the, many of the themes of the book around my further discoveries, around this, uh, this early ambition that I had to know the mountains, to understand them, and to somehow belong there. I also wanted to cover the, the really important issues that are affecting these mountains. And so I did not do that in the photos. The photos are pretty much all beautiful pictures because I think it's really important to motivate people to care about this place and to take care of it and uh, to love it and, and therefore be committed to its protection. And I think the, the pictures that show it as it is and all its spectacular beauty is what does that. But yet to cover the important problems and threats to the Sierra, uh, I have one chapter of text dedicated to that. And uh, in that I, you know, I talked about all the pressures that go with 38 million people living so close. One of the things that, that I really like about this book is of course, the, the photographs, they, they are gorgeous, they are beautiful. And, and I want to talk about when you're going out to get these photographs, uh, could you talk a little bit about the gear? I mean, we're all gearheads here. What, what are you using to get these photographs? And, and how do you check that when you're standing in that beautiful, pristine place with the camera, how do you know you've got the photograph? Actually, I'm not a gearhead. I, I'm, I'm using uh, 1984 gear. I still shoot film. And uh, I use Canon A1 cameras. I carry two of them and seven lenses and a tripod. And uh, you know, it still works just fine. I don't uh, adjust, I don't change the pictures after I take them. Virtually everybody else doing this work now goes to Photoshop. They just plug the digital camera into the computer. They go to Photoshop and and uh, manipulate the photos in any way that they want and uh, often just hit the red button until they get the sunset they want. I don't do any of that. I, wow, I want that's to, amazing. <laughs> I, I want to, thank you, I want to show nature just as it is and uh, that, that doesn't mean it's a, a random sample. I look for the most beautiful scenes I can find at the most beautiful time of day and in all kinds of weather and in all different conditions and in all different places in the Sierra, from the western foothills over to the base of the eastern escarpment and from the very northern end of the range at Lake Almanor to the very southern end at Tehachapi Pass. So I want to show it just as it is. And uh, so I don't manipulate the photos in any way. I use this old gear. Uh, I don't really know if I have it. You know, that's one advantage, of course, in using digital gear. You can you can check and see if you got the scene. but. You know, I've been doing this for over 30 years, and so I have a pretty good idea whether I've caught the picture that, that I need or not. Were you writing as you took the pictures? Were you composing the text as you took the pictures on your journey? No, I do all of that later. You know, I try to take notes, but as the years have gone by, I take fewer and fewer notes even as, as I travel. But I do take some, and uh, 
The pictures remind me a lot about what I saw and about the circumstances and just everything that was happening at the time. And then, of course, I use other written resources for, for research and for information. And so all of that comes later. You know, I craft the text at home in the winter, often months later. Well, it's a really remarkable journey you take, and it's really beautiful and gorgeous. And, and as one of the things that struck me was when you were writing about the threats to the Sierra. This is, I mean, it's really important, and you bring up things that we don't often think of. Uh, I'm thinking in terms particularly of the pressure of water, that, that all the water that is up there and all the water that these 38 million people who live here in California need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very important, and uh, I wanted to write about that, and the, the way I approached that was, um, like everyone, I'm fascinated with the high country in the Sierra, and, and so I started out with that. But... Of course, when you're up there, you see the snow melt, and I couldn't help but wonder where this water goes and what would I see if I followed these rivers the whole way down. And so over the years that followed, I've had the great fortune to be able to explore all of the 24 major rivers that drain this mountain range. And just appreciating them and the beauty and excitement and adventure of it all could have gone on forever. But when I came to see the last days of the Stanislaus River, my relationship with these mountains was forever changed. And that is one of these issues of rivers and water. The Stanislaus was a magnificent wild river of the Sierra. It was dammed in 1980. And, uh, and I came out to, to write about Friends of the River's effort in trying to protect the river. Ultimately, ultimately we lost and we had to watch the floodwaters rise just foot by agonizing foot covering everything we had known of that amazing place. And that led me to be interested in other issues of rivers and water and the whole mountain range. It's an amazing thought to think that a river could disappear like that. And it's a really powerful image the way you describe it just now. Um, are, what are, are there any other rivers that we have threatened right now? Yeah, there certainly are. Although, you know, there were hundreds of dams built in the Sierra Nevada, from Hetch Hetchy uh, Valley being flooded by O'Shaughnessy Dam, which was John Muir's last great struggle, he lost also. That dam was built, it flooded the only twin to Yosemite Valley that we've ever had. From then on, hundreds of dams have been built, rivers and canyons and valleys flooded, some of them for water projects that actually made economic and social sense. They provided a lot of water or a lot of power but we pretty much ran out of the economic feasible sites by, say, 1960 or so, certainly by 1970. And after that, the dam projects have been ones that did not make economic sense, yet rivers are still threatened by them. And uh, one of these is the American River. Auburn Dam is uh, repeatedly proposed for the American River, which would flood 48 miles of wild canyons and at a tremendous cost without really a whole lot of benefit, but yet it remains a threat. And I think we're, get, we're going to see the threats to rivers increase again as well with global warming, uh, melting the Sierra snowpack, or uh, we won't even have the Sierra snowpack because more precipitation will come in the form of rain. Scripps Institute says a 60 to 80 percent reduction in Sierra snowpack in this century. That coupled with booming population, 
California at the current rate of growth will double in population again in only 37 years. They say our Nevada will triple in population by the year 2040. And so we, we see a real collision here of, of circumstances where uh, the, the snowpack will be diminishing, the population will be growing, there'll be yet again more pressure to, uh, to build dams even if they don't make economic sense in, in the future. Your book is, is filled with these gorgeous pictures, and I wanted to talk about uh, why did you start your, your journey in the book with Pyramid Peak? I, I've never heard of it, so I, I, I've heard of a lot of these places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. Well, if you were from Sacramento, you would probably know that when you, when you look at the mountains from Sacramento on a rare, clear day, when you can actually see the Sierra, you're looking at the Crystal Range, and the peak, the highest peak there, which is the southernmost one, is Pyramid Peak. So, uh, so lots of people from Sacramento see this mountain, even though they probably don't know its name. But I began that, uh, the, it's not the introduction, but the first major chapter of the book began with a climb that I took to Pyramid Peak all by myself one year. And I used it because I, I wanted to go to the top of some Sierra Peak for the beginning of the book, because the, the book, of course, is about mountains. And I used this adventure as a way of, uh, of describing the view from the top. Basically, I climb in order to see. I want to see the rest of the range, and I want to see what the rest of California looks like from up there. And Pyramid just gave us a great, uh, a great way to experience the Sierra, a great introduction to its high country, a wonderful opening view to the rest of this range. There's lots of uh, shapers of this of this land, and, and the rivers, the weather, and they also shape our visions of this land as well. It's an interesting uh, effect. It's I didn't realize that this it was uh, winter in the Sierras for eight months. <laughs> it's the long season, and uh, snow is a very dominant force. You know, that's what, of course, gives us the water that makes the rivers, that allows the forests to grow, that supports all the rest of the community of life, and, of course, that provides water for the rest of California. So the snow, the climate shape, it, the geography, of course, is paramount. The uh, people have shaped this range in so many ways. Only 25% of the old-growth timber is left. Of course, we built roads and, uh, and the dams that we talked about, and lots of other things, and, uh, and, and our art has shaped our impressions of this range as well. And that's where I wanted to, uh, that, that's how I wanted to use my book, in a sense, in, in taking these beautiful pictures of the range and in showing them to other people. I really hope to instill new interest in these mountains. Um, and and ultimately support for their protection. But if people are not aware that they are there, if they aren't aware of just how extraordinary they are, then they kind of fall from consciousness and no one out of sight, out of mind. And um, so I wanted to, to produce a book that would both show people how magnificent this place is and to write a book that tells people how important it is. It, it really is a magnificent, and, it, and it's varied too, from the from the north to the south. Uh, as I looked at the pictures as we journey 
up north to south. You can see in the south, it's it's so much more uh, scarred looking, foreign looking. Uh, mm -hmm. I, it's, I, well, it's harsher, it, it's drier. Harsher. Yeah, yeah. It does, it changes uh, a lot. And uh, virtually all the other photo books that have ever been done about the mountain range really focus on the high country. I wanted to show the whole Sierra. So I have photos from the lower elevations of the foothills in the west, the oak savanna country, as you just start up the incline, clear over to the Great Basin Desert on the eastern side. The Sierra also merged with the Mojave Desert in the southeast. So all of these junctures give it a tremendous biological diversity, of course, but also a tremendous visual diversity that I really wanted to capture in the book. The visuals in this book are, are, are obviously spectacular. And one thing I noticed, you have a lot of very interesting photographs with a kind of a symmetric theme, uh, reflections in, in the lakes. And there's a, there's a spectacular picture, I think, of uh, Lake Richardson, is it, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. where, it's, where it's just a beautiful reflection. Do you find these symmetries? I mean, do they <laughs> jump out at you? Know, I never thought of it as symmetry, Rick, but... Uh, in a sense, I guess you could say that, but I'm always looking for the, uh, the revealing view, whatever it is, whatever the quintessential piece of that region or that part of the mountains is I'm searching for. And, and then I look for patterns, you th things that really catch my eye and just make me stop everything and stare and, and, uh, and just realize how remarkably exceptional this place really is. So that might be reflections, it can be storms, you know, the atmosphere of storms, lightning strikes I managed to capture in photos, the moon, moonsets, moonrises, of course, sunsets and sunrises, the life of the mountains, all of the, uh, all of the intersections of life, all these biological communities, the wonderful old growth forest, the uh, remnants of the oak savanna. I'm always looking for patterns in the exceptional visual scene that, that really tells the story. A book like this, it really takes you to that place and makes you think that this is a place that, A, you want to go and see yourself, but also just to preserve. It doesn't even matter if you're ever going to go there again. They are like windows, paintings of, of what we were once, where we want to be. Mm -hmm. It is simply one of the most remarkable landscapes in our country. And um, so I wanted to, to capture that and to show people just how special it is. And it's uniquely American as well. I think it really That's is right. the there's, most American landscape there is. There's nothing else like it in the world, certainly. And it's the birthplace of conservation with John Muir's efforts to establish Yosemite and and to uh, protect the Tuolumne River. And it continues today to be a path-breaking place for, a, uh, for many kinds of reforms in the way that we treat the land and protect it. I've been speaking with Tim Palmer. His new book is Luminous Mountains. It's a journey through the Sierra Nevada. Thank you for speaking with me, Tim. Thank you, Rick. It's been fun to be here. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.